Well, good morning, everybody. As we get started here, I want to paint a little picture for you from the Lord of the Rings. Now, I put a poll there and uh, didn't give you much time to answer it, but I'm curious uh, how many of you have either seen the movies Lord of the Rings or read the book. Um, if you haven't, this is sort of a spoiler, but on the other hand, uh, it's worth it. So at the uh, at the end of the movie, there's that scene where Frodo and Gollum are standing on this uh, this rock in the middle of flowing lava. It's it's kind of like liquid fire, right? And they're they're struggling and striving uh, to accomplish their their mission, their purpose. Um, and I want you to imagine that's you. And let's let's say you are standing on this rock, surrounded by flowing lava, and there's no way to get back. And you have to stand there. You have to stand on the rock. That's that's what you have to do. How long do you think you could stand on a rock with flowing lava that was certain to kill you if you uh, if you fell in? Uh, what would be the hardest part about standing? Uh, in, in that scenario, what's the longest period of time you've ever had to stand on your feet? We talk about, we use this expression, uh, you know, I've been on my feet all day kind of thing. I need to get, get home and, and get something to drink and put my feet up. We, we don't stand for long periods of time. How long could you stand? What's the longest period you've ever stood without having to sit down? I'll tell you why we're, I'm asking that in just a moment. Welcome, everybody. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning, Keith. Good morning, Carol. Uh, for the rest of you with us, uh, glad that you are here. Yeah, that's a, that's a good, day to, good way to start the day. That's my son, son's latest uh, music release called Beautiful Day. It came out last week, and if you haven't heard that, you can find it on any of your uh, listening platforms or on YouTube. Uh, so check it out. It's called Beautiful Day by Gabe Gooden. And for those of you who may be new, my name is Doug, and we gather here every morning at 7.30 a.m. That is every Monday through Friday morning, and uh, we study the Word of God together, and we are now looking at the book of Philippians. And we are in chapter 4, so we are cruising right along to the end of Philippians here. And uh, Paul begins chapter 4 with this admonition. Therefore, my beloved bro beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. So he gives the command, the instruction, stand firm. And this verse is because of the therefore. Remember, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you should always ask, what's the therefore? Therefore. Uh, it's drawing a conclusion based on what has previously been said. So in that sense, verse 1 here is pulling from what he has just been saying and drawing a conclusion. But then this word or this phrase, in this way, is looking ahead to what he's about to say, in this way, in this manner, stand firm. So we have a, a transitional verse here, looking back and looking forward. And the command is to stand firm in the Lord. So again, picture yourself on this rock and there's a flowing stream of, of liquid fire, of, of burning lava all around you and you have to stand there. How hard would that be? 
How difficult would it be to stand? How, how long can we stand as humans? And what makes it hard to stand? Well, in Frodo's case, he's got Gollum who is trying to push him in. So when you have an enemy who is seeking to get you to move from your place, that makes it hard to stand, right? What if there was nobody? What if it was just you? And the, the requirement of you is to stand on the rock. What would be your temptation? Eventually to sit down, right? That's what we long for after we get tired of standing. We just want to sit down. We just want to stop standing. Well, as, as Paul transitions here in chapter 4, and he says, in this way, stand firm, he is going to give us in this chapter uh, several uh, different ways to say, different admonitions to not sit down. That is to not give up, to persevere. And on one hand, you think of this imagery of standing. How hard is it to stand? I can stand for a long time. But eventually, it just gets hard. We, we can, sometimes we have people wanting to push us over. Sometimes we just get tired and we just long to sit down. Now, how much easier would it be to stand if you had other people with you who were not trying to push you but who are trying to hold you up. You see where this is going? See where the imagery is fitting here? We belong to the church. If you're a Christian, you are part of the church, capital C, the worldwide church. In fact, not only are we joined together with all other believers who live today, but the scripture tells us we are joined with all believers who have ever lived. You may recall the writer of Hebrews as he talks about being surrounded by a cloud of witnesses and we are part of the church of the firstborn and the great assembly who are now in heaven, those who are, have gone on before. We are part of the entire body of Christ and we are surrounded with people who will stand with us and we stand with them, but we have our role to play in this. So, that's what we're going to see in chapter 4 as we, as we move on through this uh, end of this letter to the Philippians, is this exhortation to stand and, and to stand together because we have enemies and we need each other and we need to fight against the desire to simply stop. Christian life is a hard, hard journey. Uh, and this is why I have stressed, why Paul has stressed through this whole thing. It is not simply a matter of you did something in your past, whether it was baptism or uh, you prayed a prayer or you went forward in a service or you asked Jesus into your heart. You don't, you don't just rest on something that you did in the past and say, hey, I'm good. I'm a Christian. Eternal life is sewn up and now I can just live my life however I want to. That is not the call of Christianity. Being true and faithful to Jesus until the end is hard work. Jesus laid out several times uh, calls to discipleship, and he says, you need to pay the price. You need to abandon everything for my sake and live for my purposes and my glory if you're going to make it. So with that long introduction, let's, uh, let's focus a little bit here on what Paul has uh, been saying. Good morning, Karen. Glad that you are with us as well. 
Anyone else who's with us, say hello. We'd love to know that you are uh, joining us this morning. So he says, stand firm. And he's used that term already in, uh, in Philippians. Let's take a look here back in chapter one. He says, only... And if you remember back then, we talked about how that's saying, here's the one thing I want for you, conduct yourselves or live. Uh, and this is the word for live in the commonwealth. If you remember back to Friday, we talked about our, uh, or was it Thursday? One, one day late last week, we talked about our citizenship, our commonwealth, our nation is in heaven. And he's using a similar word here, be citizens of that commonwealth. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So we're to live worthy of this salvation, of this good news of Jesus. He says, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, absent, I will hear that you are standing firm. There's that word again. That you're standing in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel in no way alarmed by your opponents. Two significant things here as far as standing firm. He says, you're striving together for the gospel. I think it's so important as Christians and and even bringing this down to a, a narrow church situation, a local church, or as individuals. We need to keep our eyes on the goal. And I would say as a local church, we need to have something we are striving for. He, he describes it here as striving together for the gospel. Now, that's, a, that's sort of a big universal call. I think as local churches, it's helpful to really focus on a, a specific project or gospel outreach opportunity or something. What is it that we, we uh, what causes us to grow weary Well, so often it's we don't have anything we're striving for, right? Vacations. Vacations are good. Having a period of rest uh, and relaxation is good. But there's also a lot of temptation to sin when we're resting. Why? Because we're not engaged in the battle. We're not engaged in the the project. We we have nothing really striving for, right? Uh, Some of you may be of retirement age. And one of the dangers of being in that season of life is you can get caught up in all kinds of sin, laziness. We, we know the stories of how people decline in their, in their health and, and they just, they, they can tend to, to wind life. They can die, what we'd say almost prematurely in retirement. One of the reasons, and this is not the only reason, but one of the reasons is they don't have any ambition. They're not striving to do anything. So uh, here in, uh, is it, it might be today, in fact. Uh, it, it, let me let me just, huh. This is a, kind of a personal note here. Let me check and see. No, it's not today. Oh, it's Friday. This coming Friday is the anniversary of my father's death. He died just a few years ago. And he was 96 years old uh, when he died. Uh, good morning, Jerry. Thanks for saying hello. And Glenn, thanks for saying hello. Uh, Jerry there uh, will relate to, uh, to my father. He, he knew my father well. Um, he, he died just a few years ago on uh, January 21st. And he died, he lived to be 96. 
And it's fascinating to look at uh, his, his life, especially the last few years. Uh, he was strong. He, 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 had, uh, he had his bouts of illness. He was in and out of the hospital many of those last few years of his life. Uh, but it was amazing. It seemed like every time the doctors told us this is probably it, we're, we're nearing the end here, he'd get pneumonia, get whatever, he would spring back and, and just be stronger than a lot of guys that I know that are in their 70s, and he was in his 90s. And then, it seemed like in that last year, he had a severe downturn, quickly uh, sort of wound down and, uh, and then died. What happened in that last year or so was my mom died. And, you know, from the, from the outside looking in, what it sort of seems like happened was he had a mission. My mom was blind most of her life, legally blind, and she'd had a stroke toward the end. And it, it seemed like those last few years of his life, his, his major sense of responsibility was caring for my mom. They were able to live together until right at the end, and, and yet she you know, needed him because she couldn't see, and she needed him to, to help her get down to the lunchroom and all of this. But once she died, you could just tell in my dad, he was, he was not sure what his purpose and place was. He didn't have really anything to strive for, and he was 96. He lived a full life, faithful to the Lord, faithful to the gospel, and it's, it's kind of like he realized my task is done. I can, I can go now. And, and he died. Now, I don't know if that's all that's going, going on, but that's what it seems like uh, from my perspective. And we can see as, as men, especially, but as humans, as churches, as individuals, when we, when we don't have a project, we don't have a, a goal and ambition that we're striving for, we can get more tired than we realize, right? When you're working hard, you sort of forget how tired you are. And then you get a break and you take a rest or you, you, you accomplish a goal and think, oh, I'm exhausted. I need to rest, which, which is usually true. But then if we don't have something else we're striving for, uh, then we can sort of find ourselves not wanting to try to do something else, not striving to get something done. We need to have these goals. I think churches need that. I think we as individuals need that. And again, what Paul said here, conduct yourselves worthy, stand firm, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So we always need to have, as a church, we always need to have this pursuit of something that is preaching the gospel uh, building and others up in the gospel, maybe evangelism projects, maybe uh, even a, a building project can be unifying to the church so long as it's not just about the building, but it's about the ministry that will come about because of this building. Or it can be raising money together for a missions project or sending missionaries out or whatever, but we need to have those goals that are gospel-centered to give us that ambition and energy. If you're standing there on that rock with the lava rolling around, uh, eventually you're going to get tired and worn out unless you, you know that if I stand here long enough, I'll be rescued. Now, think about what, what Paul has already told these, uh, these Philippians. What are we waiting for? What are we striving for? Why, why stand? Because we are eventually going to end up in that place where 
we get a new body with Jesus forever. Remember, we talked about that. The Lord is going to come back and change and transform us. We're, we're working toward the resurrection. If we stand here long enough, unified, we're going to achieve the resurrection. And then we have eternal rest. We don't rest now. We, we stand. But eventually we will rest in Christ so we need, we need to have that before us, have that goal. And that's what Paul is saying here. Stand firm, Philippians. Hold fast. Keep working on your gospel project. Keep striving to preach the gospel. Keep striving for these things and have that ambition to move on. He also said back in chapter 1, uh, he, he listed another uh, battle that we fight against standing firm. You notice, remember, in no way alarmed by your opponents. And then in chapter three, he talked about those enemies, those enemies of the cross who are setting their minds on earthly things and they want to, to draw you into setting your mind on earthly things. And if you set your minds on the here and now, if you get caught up in pleasures and earthly desires and passions, then those are going to fight against standing firm until the end. And so we have to resist those who are battling against us. And that's why we have to fight together. That's why we need to be in a good church where we have other believers who are on guard with us against the enemies who are trying to drag us into sensuality and laziness and all of that. We stand firm because we we do have a world that hates our stand on biblical morality and sexuality, who hates our stand in devotion to Jesus Christ, uh, all of the things that matter to us. And they're opposed to us. We need one another. Here's another question. Have you ever been in a church where you've had this unifying project. You are striving together to get something done. It takes time. It takes money. It takes focus. Again, I I can think back to uh, the church that I served in for 22 years. And uh, some years ago, we set out to, to plant a church and to send out, uh, you know, 75 or so people uh, and it took a lot of money. It took a lot of time. We had to raise up leaders. We had to find a place. It, it, it consumed us. Uh, that may be too strong, but it was, it was, uh, it was right at the top of our, our goal list for a couple of years or so. And I've never seen such unity, such excitement, such sacrifice among Christians as as there was there, as we pulled everything together to send off. And it ended up not just being 75, it was 150 people that went uh, to plant this church. And then after that, we sort of needed a breather, right? We, we labored so hard. Now, the, the church that was sent, they were just kicking in and they were battling and, and, and thriving. That first year was a lot of energy, um, a, lot of, a lot of ambition because, you know, they had to survive. They, had to, they, they were excited about this new thing. Well, what happened at the, uh, the sending campus was we needed some time to rest. And so we didn't immediately replace that project with something big and significant. 
And after about a year or so, the uh, the church plant began to kind of grow weary, and, and they needed to, to sort of rest. And then, not too long after all of that, COVID hit. I think COVID, in addition to the, the disease itself, which uh, you know knows has some uh, some serious challenges to anyone who's had it, and certainly has caused some death, but the lockdowns in particular were so destructive in some ways. You know, for a little while, for us as a family, for instance, it was a great time. My kids are getting to that age where you never know when uh, one of them might move out and, and, and have a life outside of our, our little family here. And, uh, you know, they're all heading that direction. And so for us to have that time where as a family we were secluded, it was actually wonderful for a little while. But as the lockdowns dragged on, and people became insulated from others and isolated, one of the temptations that we all experienced was to be ingrown, to become selfish. Uh, You know how it is when a family's together, the infighting can occur. I think the same thing happens in the church. And it wasn't too long after that, in fact, after the lockdowns ended, that within that church that I was part of, there grew this great animosity and hostility among among some. And it ended up having a pretty devastating impact on the church and frankly on me personally. And I just wonder how much of the setting of, of people being isolated and being concerned about surviving this, uh, this plague, which didn't turn out to be quite the plague, but, but the, the, the lack of goals and ambitions uh, together, the need to fight together. It happens. It happens when we grow insulated, when we draw from our, from, by ourselves, and when we don't have something that we are seeking to, to, uh, to uh, complete and accomplish together. This happens in families. If you're a dad, you need to make sure your family has projects, has things they are striving together for uh, to achieve. That is one way we stand together and and don't become selfish. Well, in this church at Philippi, there were these two women who had been faithful servants with Paul, sacrificial servants, and now they had grown um, antagonistic toward one another. And Paul calls them out. He says, verse 2 here of chapter 4, I urge Yodia and Syntyche. Those are not names that just roll off the tongue for us today, but they were very common in the in the Greek world, and they're both feminine, uh, female names. I urge them, and notice he, he, he uses this word urge to both of them individually. He's not taking sides here, but I urge Yodia <clears throat> And I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Now imagine, you're in this church and the Apostle Paul is writing. And and the way this worked was, uh, he would send it by somebody and then it would be delivered to an individual, usually a pastor, elder, you know, leader in the church. And that person would read it before the whole congregation. And uh, remember, Paul started this church and he loved them. We've talked about that. So imagine you're there in this congregation, and the the leader stands up to read. We got another word from Paul. Can't wait to hear what he says. And he calls out your name and says, kids, get along. (laughs) 
in front of the whole church, he calls you out as someone who is causing animosity and disturbance. He knows you and this other person have been fighting. It'd be pretty humbling, wouldn't it? So he calls out these two women and he says, live in harmony in the Lord. And then he speaks to the one, uh, this church leader. He says, indeed, true companion who, who would have received this letter. I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle. They've shared my struggle together with Clement. We don't know who that is. And the rest of my fellow workers, they have been leaders in the gospel pursuit of this church in Philippi. And they've been companions of Paul and they've worked hard with Paul. These two women have have been front and center in all the gospel ministry of this church. And he says their names are written in the book of life. These are believing women along with Clement and these others. We're all Christians. Our names are written down in that book. When the books are open on that last day, our names are in it. But for whatever reason, these two women are causing such great disturbance in the church by their fighting that Paul calls them out and says, my brother who is receiving this letter, get involved and help these women reconcile because the unity of the church and the work of the gospel is at stake. How often is animosity between a couple of people in a church the downfall of that ministry? It happens. And once thriving churches can be greatly weakened and even stop, uh, stop existing uh, or be a shadow of their former selves because of uh, some selfishness and selfish ambition on the part of one or more people. You and I need to make sure that we are not that person, that we are not the cause of the disunity. The enemy of our souls loves to bring controversy and fighting in the church. Because if we're fighting each other, we're not fighting him. If we're striving against one another, we are not striving for the gospel. So Paul feels the need here to call these two women out. He loves them. Did you notice? I I went quickly through this. Uh, He he calls them all my brothers, and and that would include the women, my brothers and sisters. I long to see you. You're my joy and my crown. And twice he uses the word beloved here. You are beloved. You are my beloved, he says. He loves them. He cares deeply for them. And now he's saying, look, you've got to get over your personal strife and get back to the business of gospel ministry and striving against the real enemy. You guys are not enemies. And we think, Our brothers and sisters in Christ are our enemies at times, don't we? And man, the enemy of our souls, the real enemy, can cause so much strife and and destroy our joy, which we'll come back to tomorrow, uh, by causing us to fight one another. Have you experienced this? Have you been part of a church? Just curious, just a, a quick yes or no. Have you been part of a church where... Some folks have gotten their eyes off of the goal of gospel ministry where they've become selfish and caused great conflict in the church. Have you seen that in in a church you've been part of or or maybe one that you just know well? Now, we're not talking about uh, struggling against false teaching that is 
is heretical. He's addressed that. He's already discussed some teaching that is so contrary to the truth of Christ that he says, beware of these people and don't give them a listen. He calls them enemies of Christ. So we're not talking about truth at all costs. We never, I'm sorry, we don't, we're not talking about unity at all costs. We should never abandon the, the most significant things, the, the character of God as the Bible reveals him. We can't give up on that because we're not serving the same God if we don't believe in his character and who he is. We, we, cannot, uh, we cannot give an inch on the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, those kind of things. So we, we don't, in, for a moment even, we don't, uh, we don't let go of that. And, and some other basic essential truths but then as we get further away from that core, those central things that, that every Christian must believe, and, and this also spills over into uh, more moral issues, there are certain sins that the Bible says, if you practice these things ongoingly, you're not in the kingdom. This is why, uh, this is why we strive for truth on things like homosexuality and, uh, and, and some of the other things mentioned in 1 Corinthians 6, for instance. Um, we, we, we can't give an inch on those because those things do render someone outside the kingdom. But as we get further away from those core truths and, and uh, commands that we're required to submit to, we can let less important things drive a wedge in between us. Christian, let me urge you as Paul did, and I urge myself, he's urging me too, all of us, stand firm in, in the Lord and don't allow the enemy of our souls to get us distracted. And don't allow your selfishness to cause you to be part of what's preventing the church from reaching the goals that God has set for us in gospel ministry. So I want to I want to just encourage you as we as we wrap up here. Um, examine your own your own uh, life, your own thoughts, your own participation in your local church right now. Is there any sense in which you are causing the church? to struggle together rather than struggle against the real enemy and for the gospel. Or if, if the answer is no, you're not involved in that kind of dispute. Is there this kind of battle going on in the church? And can you specifically be involved in reconciliation? We sometimes need others to come alongside and help us get our minds on the truth and not on our own selfish ambitions. Now, this doesn't always work out. Sometimes the, the animosity does destroy the church. It happens. It happened. Paul and Barnabas had a severe falling out, if you remember. And Paul and Mark had a pretty big struggle. But we don't want to be the cause of it. And where we can be the cause of reconciliation, we need to be so that we all stand. Even though the lava is flowing around us, even though uh, it's hot, it's hard, we just want to stop at times. We need to stand firm. So with that exhortation, I'm going to leave you to ponder this before the Lord. And until tomorrow, grace and peace to you. And we'll see you tomorrow morning, same time. God bless.